Amen. Thank you. And thank you, Pastor, for having me here today. Appreciate each and every one of you. Um, Jonestown has been with military evangelism since the very beginning. I think it was three men from this church actually went down to APG back in 52 and started holding Bible studies. That's how this ministry started. So we're thankful for it. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Dave Mason. I am the executive director of military evangelism. We're no longer at the Aberdeen Proving Grounds, but at Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. And um, we reach Marines and sailors with the gospel. And I've got a little short video I want to show you right now that gives you an idea of what we do. It's got a couple testimonies from some of our guys and a few Marines singing very poorly the Marine Corps hymn. So. Almost four years. years. Um, um, Dave, Dave and Patty have definitely brought me into to be, to one, be of one of their, their children, children, so 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 to say. Um, but but if there was if there was any place, place like there's there's, there's, no, there's place no place like this place. place. You know they you make, know, they you, make feel you feel at home. home. Um, um, the word the word that 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 he speaks, he speaks you know through 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 God. Through God um, it, it absolutely flows through him. So so everything everything that. that you know, you know, as has gone bad in my life, or something that you know, you know I've struggled, struggled with. My my instant, instant thought was Dave, Dave and Patty, because it's like it's just, just they were always, always in the back of my mind, mind when I was scared, or you know, when, when I when I needed something, something you know, when I was on deployment, being on two deployments, they don't they don't really hold Bible studies and services out there. So, so you kind of have, have to resort back to, to what, you've what you've learned, learned or, or what, uh, what uh, what's been what's talked been talked about, about really. Um, um, and, and Dave, Dave is definitely definitely, you know, definitely, definitely gave, gave me a lot a lot more insight, insight and a lot more knowledge that, 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 that I really needed. Really so, so I really I really do thank them, and I I love them. They're my they're my they're my parents. So so I really I really do appreciate it, and I love this place. So my name is Michael Bowell. Joining, joining you today from MCAS New River, please, please excuse the sound of helicopters in the background. It kind of comes with the territory, um, but I've been going to the Military Fellowship Center for almost four years now. And I met David and Patty back in 2018, and since then I've just gone through different hardships. I've lost friends, and my family has had different struggles. and. They've just, They've just been, been there, there uh, to support me and to encourage me along the way. And um, the Military Fellowship Center has uh, just provided me with a community of believers who are also in the military. And most of them have become my best friends. You know, my family here in North Carolina. And I can't imagine uh, what my enlistment would have been out then. And um, 
sure the Military, military Fellowship Center is alight in, in the Jacksonville, Jacksonville area and in the, and in the Marine Corps. Fellowship Hall with a 23 by 23 uh, addition, two 23-foot walls on a roof cost us $100,000. <laughs> but God provided every single penny of it every time we needed it, exactly when we needed it. And uh, we are so thankful for it because now we have plenty of space to, I mean, we've, we've seen some incredible growth over the last, I, said, uh, we, I was at a missions con- missionary missions conference, so a bunch of missionaries getting together and San Antonio back in uh, March, and they were all there trying to talk about how do you recover from COVID, because you know they were hurt so bad. And I, I'm just sitting there kind of sheepishly in the corner, going, "I I didn't get hurt. We grew. <laughs> I mean, our guys were so anxious to get back. They came back and brought their friends. I mean, in March we were running an average of 40 to 50 every night, every Friday night." Uh, we're down in the mid-20s right now because we've had a lot of deployments, a lot of guys getting out. In fact, Micah, you just saw, she's, she finished her tour a couple weeks ago, and she's getting married in a few weeks to a guy that she met at the center. And um, he's still in the Corps. She's, she's out. They're, they've got a, a townhouse in town now. They're getting ready, setting their house up and getting ready to get married. And um, so a lot of folks are leaving and coming in. So our, our numbers are always up and down, up and down, and that's okay. Same thing with Camp Johnson Chapel. You know, um, last year, the, um, the, the camp, is, Camp Johnson is a training camp attached to Camp Lejeune. There are four camps in town. There's Camp Lejeune, Camp Johnson, Camp Geiger, and Marine Corps Air Station New River. Geiger is where secondary infantry training happens. Everybody that finishes Paris Island comes straight to Geiger if they're going to go to Johnson, and they get their secondary infantry training, their close combat training. And that's for five weeks, and then they come over to Johnson for their MOS training, um, and that's all support services. So it's logistics, embarkation, motor T, uh, admin, ground supply, all that sort of thing. And uh, Camp Johnson has not had a Protestant chaplain for three and a half years now. So I've been volunteering, helping as, they, as the command staff has been handing, uh, giving Protestant chaplains over to the camp so that they could fill that Protestant void. And uh, when the new chaplain came in last year, and he's LDS, and they needed another Protestant chaplain, and the command staff told the, uh, the, uh, the, the uh, commander of Camp Johnson, you're on your own, fix it. We're not sending you anybody else. We're tired of this. And so I got a call from one of the Protestant chaplains and the co- colonel, and they handed me the keys to the chapel and said, here, run it. We, <laughs> we need a preacher every week. You run the chapel for us as long as you want. <laughs> and so we're actually working up a contract right now so that I have a, a no-pay no contract with the camp so that I have some kind of authority there. Um, but uh, our prayer is that, you know, uh, they keep not getting Protestant chaplains so I can keep doing this. <laughs> it's so much fun. The, 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 the chapel was averaging three Marines a month when we took over. And now we're usually in the high 20s. 
Um, right here, these last few weeks, we've been down to about a dozen to a dozen and a half. But the, the ratio is amazing. The main chapel on base will run about 100, 120 with close to 25, 30,000 people on the base. We're running 12 to 18 right now with 800 on our base. So our ratio is, is amazing, you know. Um, and when we're running 3,000, we're, we're hitting 30 on a regular basis. So God's really been blessing, and we get to take those guys out to the center. A lot of them become regulars at the center. Um, and um, then, then they stay with us. Like I said, Micah stayed with us for four years. Ryan was with us for three and a half, um, something like that. Him and his twin brother, Brian, they were both at the center for a long time. Brian's a um, drill instructor at, camp, at uh, Paris Island now. And uh, Ryan just got out of the military. He had to. He was, he, that young man, when he was talking about his deployments, he was in Kabul when the bomb went off. He was asleep on his shift. It, not on his shift. He, it was not his shift, so he was asleep. And his best friend was on her shift. And she was, if you saw the pictures of the young Marine holding a baby in Kabul the week before, that was Nicole. And she died in the blast. And uh, Ryan said he really just needed to, take in everything that we, he had been taught at the center to try to help him deal, deal with this and cope with this. Um, and he came back, and then it was a month after he came back, that same unit was in town, and they had an accident uh, with a couple of uh, seven-ton carriers, personnel carriers. One flipped, and two men were crushed. And uh, so that same unit lost three people in the span of two or three months. And um, so when Ryan's time to re-up came, he said, no, I'm done. I'm going to go home. And he's training now. He wants to be a NASCAR driver. <laughs> so, <laughs> great kid, though. Great kid. So, but God's been blessing. He's doing amazing things at the center. And we're just so ever thankful for your support. Um, when, you're, when we're finished this morning over in the hall, just before you get into fellowship hall, is our table. Make sure you visit our table. Our new prayer cards are there. Um, there's some brochures about us that you can take. I think we still have some pens. And um, my new book is out on the table, too. I've written three books now, Revelation, Zechariah, and now Daniel just got published a month ago. And you're the first, you're the second church that's going to have, have the opportunity to purchase Daniel. My books are $15 a piece, and that covers, that covers printing. Printing has doubled over the last few months. Uh, it covers printing, and it covers uh, transportation and such. Every single penny that we make over and above the printing cost goes back into the center. I don't take anything from it. I write the books so that I can bless the center, okay? So, uh, and they're just exegetical commentaries on those three books of the Bible. So if you're interested in those, you're more than welcome to visit the table and see about that. This morning, I want to talk to you from Luke chapter 24, Luke chapter 24, and I want to talk to you about understanding your mission. I want you to know something. I'm standing here before you today as a missionary. I was a pastor for 15 years before I went on the mission field. I've been in full-time ministry over 20 years now, and, um, uh, preaching for 25 plus years. And, uh, you know, these last six and a half years, I've been what's called a missionary. But I've always been a missionary. And whether you know it or not, you have always been a missionary. From the moment you accepted Jesus Christ into your heart as Lord and Savior, you became a missionary. Missions isn't just about giving. It's not sending about, it's not just about sending missionaries around the world and across the street. Missions is about you. You have a mission from God. You are called to be involved in worldwide missions and to be involved in missions right here at home. You are called to be a missionary. And the missionary has to be trained. So today we're going to talk about what Jesus wants a missionary to know, how he wants a missionary to grow, and where he wants a missionary to go. Okay? 
Um, now, in, in our text this morning, Luke chapter 24, Jesus has risen from the dead. He has walked on the road to Emmaus with Cleophas and the other disciple. And those two, once they get into the, 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 uh, the inn where they're going to stay for the night, and Jesus lifts his hands and blesses the bread, his sleeves fall, and they see the marks in his hands. And they go, oh, this is Jesus, and he disappears from their midst. And they hot-footed back to Jerusalem and get into the upper room and tell the guys, hey, we saw Jesus. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we know. Peter's already seen him. The ladies have already seen him. It's, you know, it's cool. And all of a sudden, in this locked room, all the windows are closed, doors barred, without a door opening, without a window opening, the flesh and blood, bones and sinew, physical body of Jesus Christ appears in the room with them. Standing in front of them, showing them the scars in his hands and feet. And there's just jaws open, you know. And he's, he's just, he goes, well, you know, you got something to eat? <laughs> now, why would he ask for something to eat? Well, a couple of reasons. One, he's in a physical body. So don't let anybody ever tell you that Jesus didn't arose from the grave physically. There's a lot of folks out there today who say it was just a spiritual resurrection. That what they saw after the, after the, res, after the crucifixion was just a spiritual uh, incarnation of Jesus. No, spirits don't get hungry. Why was Jesus hungry? He'd been dead for three days. Amen? He had had a bite to eat since Thursday night. Right? And then he rises from the grave, gets into his body back from paradise, and he stands up. Oh, man. I could. So they give him some fish and honey, and he eats it. And after he finishes his, his supper, he starts teaching. And he starts telling them and us what's most important. Now, let me say this. If last words are important, how much more important are the first words after a resurrection? And these are some of his first words after resurrection. Luke chapter 24 and verse 44. He said unto them, These are the words which I spoke unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which was written in the law of Moses, and in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding, that they might understand the scriptures. And he said unto them, Thus it's written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer, and rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Father God, thank you for the morning. And thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for this opportunity once again to be with friends. And we just pray that right now you give me clarity of mind. Help me to speak only your words and not mine. And that we have receptive hearts and minds in the congregation. And we give you all the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So what does Jesus want them to know? Number one, he says, you need to understand the whole Bible. You got to understand the whole Bible. Now listen, preacher, don't feel bad if they're not listening to you. Okay? Because they didn't listen to Jesus. Okay? Matthew 5.17. Matthew 17.22. Mark 9.31. And back in Luke 9.43. Let me read Luke 9, 43 to you. They were all amazed at the mighty power of God, but while they wondered everyone at the things that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, let these, see, these sayings sink down deep in your ears. Listen to what I'm saying and let it sink down deep in your ears. For the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men, and he shall be crucified, right? And he'll, he'll, be, he'll raise from the dead. It says they didn't understand it. They didn't understand what he was saying, you know? He says, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be betrayed in the hands of this sinful man. They're going to kill me. And on the third day, I'll rise again. But they did not understand this saying. It was hid for them. They perceived it not. And they feared to ask him what it meant. 
And then verse 46 says, and then there arose a reasoning among them of which one of them should be the greatest. We have a very peculiar talent in the Christian church, which is to hear the word of God, not understand it, and then immediately go into some selfish argument about us. Instead of submitting ourselves to what God's saying and listening to it and letting the saying sink deep down in our ears, he says to them, you need to know something, boys. I was telling you all this time. I was reasoning to you. Look at what he says here. He says, these are the words I spoke to you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which are written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Over and over again, he was begging his disciples to compare what he was saying with the plainly written word of God. So what's that mean to us? Well, going to church is not enough. Hearing the preacher is not enough. You have to study the Bible and search and come to the right conclusions about the faith on your own. You have to understand Scripture personally. You can't just expect pastors just... Give you what you need, and then it go. You know everything's fine. Yeah, oh yeah, I heard it. I'm good. You heard it. Did you understand it? Amen. Listen, if you don't, if you don't come to a personal understanding of Scripture, if you don't come to a point where you see what Jesus is actually saying and you can apply it to your own personal heart, you'll never become the witness. You'll never become the helper in the church. You'll never become the caregiver. You'll never become the soul winner that God wants you to be ever. And Jesus says, you've got to understand scriptures first and foremost. And you've got to understand three basic divisions of the Old Testament. Because that's what they had back then. They didn't have the New Testament yet. So he's, he's preaching from the scriptures they had. And you know, there's still that thing happening today. There are churches in China who only have one book of the Bible. Because they can't have the whole Bible. And they've smuggled that in. You know, there are churches that don't have every, all the church. There are people in this world who are not as blessed as you. You can buy a Bible in the dollar store. And you don't read it. You think I'm accusing you personally. I'm not. I'm accusing the church. Let me tell you something. If every church member in this country opened up his Bible at the same time, we'd have the second great dust bowl. (laughs) Jesus said there's three parts of the Old Testament you need to know. The law of Moses. Yes, you need to study the law. But we're under grace. You need to study the law because the law shows you your sin. The law helps you tell people that they're sinners. You talk to people and they go, well, I'm not a sinner. Let me, let me, let me ask you a couple questions. Let me prove to you that you're a sinner. Number one, you ever told a lie? Shake your head like this. Yeah, but one lie doesn't make me a sinner. Well, how many times do I have to lie to you before that makes me a liar? If I lie to you once, am I not a liar? Well, so are you. You ever wanted something somebody else had? That's called coveting. Have you been in church every single Sunday your whole life? Well, you haven't honored the Sabbath. You ever looked at somebody else with unjust thoughts, lustful thoughts? That means you're an adulterer. You ever taken something that's not yours? No. Yeah, you ain't got a, a pen in your house that's got first bank written on the side? By your own admission, you're a lying, adultering, thieving, Sabbath breaker. Well, you want to go to the other six commandments? Let's go. (laughs) Right? You need to know the law. Then you need to know the prophets, he says. Why? Because prophecy is your great hope. 
Prophecy is your great hope. I just finished that book on Daniel. You know, about a third of, maybe a little more than a third of the prophecies in Daniel have already come to pass. And you can prove it. The, just the prophecies about Alexander the Great in chapters 2 and 3 and chapter 7 and 8. My goodness, to the T, to the letter. If that happened, don't you think that the rest is going to happen? And the rest is this. Messiah is coming. And he's coming back. And he's going to set up his kingdom. And his stone kingdom is going to crush the toes of all the world kingdoms. And they're all going to crumble into pieces. That's your great hope. Amen? You need to know the prophecies. Then you need to know the Psalms. And that includes all the poetical books. Proverbs, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, even Lamentations. You know, a little bit depressing, but you know, it's poetical. You need to know them. Why? Because they're your worship guide. You know, the church didn't sing hymns like we sang this morning up until about Martin Luther's time. We sang the Psalms. In fact, hymns were very, very controversial when they first were introduced in the church because we're not singing scripture. Oh my goodness. Right? Then when we started adding refrains at the end of the, each line, we, we repeat the same seven or eight words at the end. When Iris Sankey started doing that in D.L. Moody's uh, 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 conventions he was holding, you know, and his, his crusades, oh, people were like, oh, we're babbling like the heathen, you know? Oh, my goodness. So I, I said that as a side to tell you this. We've always had a controversy about music in the church, and we always will. Amen. All right? This, this is all there is to it. But you need to read the Psalms because that's your worship guide. That teaches you how to worship. You know, a good hymn is based on Scripture. Amen? Listen, you do not need a special touch from Jesus to understand the Scriptures. He doesn't have to come into this room and breathe on you to make you understand it. Because that's what happens here in verse 45 where it says, Then he opened their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. That's a parallel to John uh, uh, 2022, when he said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Ghost. So that's how the disciples had this special, the, the, the 11 in the upper room were the first ones to receive the Holy Ghost. Ten day, uh, 50 days later from this date, when the day of Pentecost comes, everybody who accepts Jesus Christ gets the Holy Ghost. Amen? From that day forward. If you have been saved, you have the Holy Spirit of God residing in you. Okay, I got Sunday school teachers in here, right? Okay, Okay, do me a favor. Don't ever tell your children. Don't do this. Think about this. Would you do this if Jesus was standing right next to you? Don't ever say that to your kids. Because if they know Jesus Christ, he's standing inside of them, and they're making him do the thing that they're doing. That's a better way of illustrating it, isn't it? Now, don't do this because you think Jesus is standing beside you and looking at you. Jesus is standing inside of you, and he's looking out through you. You have the Holy Spirit of God in you, amen? What concourse has Christ with Belial? That's what that scripture means. So we're supposed to understand the scriptures. Then, verse 46, we're supposed to understand the gospel in particular. Look at this. He said, thus it is written, thus it behooved Christ to suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. That Jesus sums up the gospel in as few words as possible. You know why? Because the gospel's simple. Now, it takes a preacher to make it complicated. Like Paul, 1 Corinthians 15, 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, which I preached to you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, how Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. The gospel's simple. It's not complicated. Don't over-explain the gospel story. 
Learn how to say it simply. Amen? That's it. And don't feel like you have to explain everything. We, apologetics are great, and I, have, I love apologetics. I, I study apologetics, and I love getting into a good old-fashioned argument with an atheist. I don't mind that. But when I know someone's close to knowing who Jesus is, I'm not going to debate with them about dinosaurs on the ark. I'm not going to debate with them about old earth versus young earth theory. I'm not going to debate about certain things. I'm going to, every moment I get, I'm going to return them back to, but what about Jesus? What about what Jesus did for you? Because I know this, that if they'll just submit and, and surrender and let Jesus come into their hearts, all those questions, they don't all get answered, but they don't all need to be answered anymore. Amen? Do you have questions about the faith that you've never gotten answered? You okay with it? You should be, because what we need are people who believe the Bible, all of it, even the parts they don't understand. <laughs> That's what we need. So get, get a simple understanding of the scripture and be diligent about your study. Ask questions when you don't understand things. You should hear the questions we get at the center. It's outrageous, you know, and, and, and expand your understanding of biblical doctrine so that you can explain things succinctly. You know, you, I mean, you should be memorizing scripture. I've memorized probably 500, 600 verses of scripture in my lifetime. I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed to say that's all I've done. I wish I'd been in the thousands by now. I mean, I, I know people who, I have a friend, a preacher down in Jacksonville who has memorized the entire book of Matthew and the entire book of Romans on his own. Now, he's in his late 70s. He's had time to do that. Of course, he's only 20-some-odd years older than me, so I, I've had about the same amount of time. I should have had this done by then. Amen? But memorize some scriptures and, and be reading your Bible on a regular basis so that scriptures come back to you. I, I've, been, I've, I've found myself witnessing to people, and all of a sudden I say, you know, over in Amos chapter 2, and I'm like, when's the last time I ever read Amos chapter 2? I don't even remember. I'm just trying to figure out why. And you know what it is? When you put yourself in this book, when you soak yourself in it, guess what happens? The Holy Spirit of God who is in you, he's already read the whole thing because he wrote it. And he's able to bring to your remembrance scriptures that you never remembered. Amen? And you're able to remember things you don't remember. It's amazing. So just soak yourself with it. But he can't do that unless you've had it. He's not going to give you some. He's not just going to let you understand it without having you do some work. You know, it, it's, it's trust God, but do your work. Amen? I mean, that's all there is to it. You know, he's, he's, he, he wants you to get involved in it. He wants to work with you, not do all the work for you. And all of that will prepare you to reach out to the whole world. So there's things you need to know, and there's a way you need to grow. You know, you've got to have a daily, lifelong pursuit of understanding the gospel. Good gospel preachers are always coming to fresh and new realizations and fresh perspectives on the gospel story. That's why we study. Second Timothy uh, 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God. Amen? I'm working on a sermon right now. I was hoping to have it ready for this week, but there was no way. It's just too deep. It's too much. But I just did a, pro a three-day prophecy conference down in Dover, Delaware. And I've always, I've always preached Re uh, Revelation 19, verses 11 to the end. Because, you know, Jesus coming back on the white horse and the sword and the blood, his, his robe dipped in his enemy's blood. And, I mean, I, I'm, I'm just I'm way too macho for my own good. And that's how I am. That's what I am. I, I'm a hard, I'm, you know... Okay, but I'm studying for this thing, and I've written a book on Revelation, okay? And I get to Revelation chapter 19, verse 1 and 2 and 3, and I went, oh my goodness. 
these robes of righteousness that Christ gives to the wife now. She's no longer the bride. From Revelation 19 forward, she's no longer the bride of Christ. She's the wife of Christ. Why? Because you can't call her the bride anymore because she's stood at the judgment seat and been found impure and yet forgiven. Ooh, that's a good one. She was found impure but yet forgiven. So now she's no longer the bride, but she's the wife of Christ. And he gives to her not just, Isaiah 61 says, he's clothed me with the garment of salvation and he's robed me with righteousness. He doesn't just give her the garment of salvation. He gives her more robes that are righteousness. And that righteousness, it says in Revelation, is the righteousness of the saints. Those robes of righteousness are being built out of the works we're doing after we get saved. So some of us are going to have long, sumptuous robes and some of us are going to have a vest. Amen? I, got, I love that. I got an amen from the, from the children's choir here. I love that. But you know what? I never saw that before. So when you're, when you're studying the scriptures, you can do it like I've been doing it for 25 years and still see something brand new. You can write a book about it and then later on find something brand new. So keep at it. Keep at it. And then use your understanding to help others understand. Verse 47 and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Without a proper understanding of the gospel, you can't help to help others. Everyone you know, everyone in this town, everyone in this state, everyone in this country, everyone on this planet needs to hear the gospel so they can make a decision. Not all will make a decision for Christ. But if you give them the information you need, they need, you've done your job. Ezekiel 3 plainly says... If I tell you to warn the wicked of his ways and you don't warn him and he dies in his sins, his blood's on your hands. But if you warn him and he doesn't repent and he dies, he goes to hell, but your hands are clean. You have a responsibility. Okay, show of hands. How many of us in here know somebody who, if we, they die today, you are absolutely certain they would go to hell? Be honest. Come on. There's way more than that, I'm sure. Right? What are you doing about it? What are you doing about it? So you thought since I'm a missionary, I wasn't going to get up here and step on your toes. I can't help it. It's, uh, it's who I is. All right. I know I look like a Texan. I ain't a Texan, but I plan on dying there. But, you know, that's just who I am. That's how I look. I can't I can't cut corners on this. You know, somebody who's dying and going to hell. Why aren't you talking to him? Why aren't you telling something? All you got to do is just start, start dropping seeds a little bit. Here. I have one of my uh, young corpsmen. She's a chaplain's assistant in RP. She came to me this week. She goes, Dave, I'm so upset. I talked to my best friend, and, and I just gave them everything I could, and they just whole house rejected me. I said, Angel, that's okay. You planted seed, kiddo. Some plant, some water, and God gives the increase. And you planted so your hands are clean. Amen. That's your job. So you got people that you know who are going to go to hell if you don't reach them. So reach them. And if they die without Jesus, you did your part. You did your part. Amen? Amen. So what do, you, what, do you, what do you use to reach these people? Well, you got to have some tools. You gotta, number one, you got to have the Bible. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Amen? you got to know something out of your Bible. you got to know uh, uh, how to use the Bible. Look, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Remember that story, Acts chapter 8? Right? Philip 
finds this Ethiopian eunuch who's like the attache to the queen of, uh, of Sheba. She, he, he, he's like a big wig in the government. He's got all these servants around him. He, Philip comes up on this fellow and he's reading Isaiah. He's reading Isaiah 53, by the way. And Philip says, hey, what are you reading? He goes, I have no idea. How can I understand this? Somebody needs to interpret this for me. So Philip sits down with him and shows him how that's Christ. And the Ethiopian goes, huh. Well, there's water right there. What keeps me from being baptized? And Philip says, well, if you believe with all your heart, you can be baptized. He goes, I believe. They went and baptized him. Somebody, you need to know the Bible so that you can interpret it for people. Because I get at least 10 texts a week from Marines going, hey, Dave, what does this mean? Because the guys in my shop are trying to tell me this means this. You know, they always, oh, goodness gracious, this, this, you know. You know, Jesus never spoke about homosexual marriage. Yeah, well, he wrote the book of Leviticus. Amen? If the Holy Spirit of God inspired all the scripture according to Peter, then Jesus wrote the book of Leviticus, therefore he spoke on the issues. He spoke on every issue that's ever been. Amen? Listen, you have got to understand the word of God. The message is, you have is the gospel. It's simple, but it's not easily understood by sinful men. You have to interpret it. So know some scriptures. Know the Romans Road, for example. People know Romans Road, Romans 3.23, right? For all have sinned short and come short of the glory of God, whereas by one man sin entered the world and death by sin, therefore all have, you know, all have died, all, 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 death passed upon all men for all have sinned. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved, right? For the scripture says, whosoever calleth on him shall not be ashamed. It's got to be out. Open, right? Listen, we need to know the Bible. And then we need to use the second tool in our tool bag, which is prayer. And that's where we fail the most. That's where I fail the most. I don't know about you. Who can honestly say, I don't, I, who can honestly say, I don't pray like I ought to? Yeah. That's most of it is. I know some people who can pray. I got, I got, a, I got a Marine couple I got to pray for this week, and I'm going to go grab a couple of my friends because I know they got the ear of God more than I got the ear of God. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, I understand that, you know. And, uh, I mean, I've had some strange occurrences here in these last few months and uh, been battling some very strong spiritual forces, and I got to go battle them again this week. Y'all pray for me. But uh, you got to pray. You got to pray. You got to, you know, because the Holy Spirit moves when people pray. You know, just, uh, you know, a few days after this in Acts chapter four, you know, they're going to be praying and the whole house is going to shake. How would you all like it if we all started praying and suddenly this whole building started shaking? Some of you all just run and never come back. Right. Some of us would be like, yeah, this is awesome. I got a roller coaster ride and I didn't even have to pay for a Hershey Park ticket. Listen, prayer. And then the method one on one. That's the method, one-on-one. That was Jesus' method. He individually reached Peter, Andrew, Levi, Philip, Nicodemus, the woman at the wells, Zacchaeus, the maniac at Gadara, the Roman centurion, the thief on the cross. That was him, personally, reaching each one of them. And you never know what you bringing someone to Jesus will do. right? Andrew brought his brother Peter to Jesus, so he brought one that we know of. Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 got saved. Who here knows who Ezra Kimball is? Yeah, I didn't think so. Ezra Kimball was the, was the owner of a shoe shop in Boston. He led a fat little salesman by the name of Dwight Lyman Moody to the Lord. 
And D.L. Moody, in the course of his lifetime, saw over, a, hundred, uh, saw over a, th- a million people come to Christ in his crusades and personally held hands with nearly, uh, nearly 125,000 people personally. He led to the Lord on his own. Moody was the kind of guy who said he wouldn't go to sleep if he, fed, if he got to uh, 1 o'clock in the morning getting ready to go to sleep and realized he hadn't witnessed to someone that day. He would put on his coat, go outside, and walk the streets until he found somebody to witness to. Whoa. Yeah, it's scary. Yeah, it takes some guts, but the Lord never calls those whom he doesn't equip. Amen? So get out there. Go. There's things you ought to know, right? And there's places you ought to go. <laughs> go among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You know, he says, all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Let's make one thing clear. The gospel started at Jerusalem. It had to start somewhere. But Luke also wrote the book of Acts. And in that book, Jesus tells us the order of how the gospel is supposed to be spread once it starts in Jerusalem. Acts 1.8. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both unto me in both Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost parts of the earth. Did you notice he doesn't say then? He doesn't say Jerusalem, and then Judea, and then some, no, 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 all at once. So, you're supposed to be reaching people here in this area. You're supposed to be reaching people in all Pennsylvania, all up and down the eastern seaboard, all the way across the country, and all the way around the world, all at the same time. You say, but I can't go there. No, but you can give there. Amen? You can give there. You can give over and above your tithe to missions. And you can see more people get on the field and reach more people for Christ. And I believe that's the biblical model. Malachi chapter 3, God says you're robbing God in tithes and offerings. And then he says about the tithe, he says, I'll rebuke the devourer for you. So tithe doesn't say I love God. Tithe says I'm scared of God. <laughs> and I don't, I don't want, I don't want my, whole thing to, my whole life to fall apart because I'm not being obedient. He said give a 10%. And then he says of the offerings, and the nations shall call you blessed. Go look it up sometime. I believe the offerings are missions offerings. Giving over and above. Giving more. You know, 10% is a starting point, folks. A starting point. Get, oh, man, it gets really quiet when you start talking about money, Pastor. What's up with that? I have news for you. You can't outgive God. And you can't give so much that you won't, that you'll go, that you'll go, you can't give so much to God that you'll go into poverty. Amen. My wife and I started giving over and above our tithe. And within a few years, we were at 23% of our income. 13% to missions and 10% to the church. The missions got more than the church. And my pastor was over his, over, head over heels when I told him that. I said, I didn't tell him the amount because he never knew. I said, but we're giving more to missions than we are to the church. He goes, man, that's awesome, Dave. You know, and I never once lacked for anything as a pastor doing the same thing, making pittance, barely couldn't even the the church couldn't even afford to give me health insurance. I was charging my health insurance on a credit card every month and we were still giving like that. And I got news for you. I always had a running car. I always had two running cars. My kids always got the good stuff. They got it about a year after everybody else. They didn't get PlayStation 4 for about a year. They didn't get iPods for about two years. I made them have Zunes first. That was horrible for me. Um, you know, because they were cheaper. But they eventually got all the stuff all their friends had, right? And we didn't lack. We didn't lack for anything. And in that time, being a pastor, making absolutely nothing, 
We went to Kenya. We went to Guatemala. We took vacations. God blessed. And we were living on 77% of our income. (laughs) How do you do that? You trust God. That's it. You trust God. That's all you do. So go. Go everywhere. You know? I mean, you can't go everywhere, but you can give everywhere. And here's the end note, and I'm done. You have the power to reach the whole world. Look at verse 49. And behold, I send the promise of my Father to you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Jesus promised those disciples power in just a few short days. That power came to the church 2,000 years ago, and he is still here. The Holy Ghost, he is here this morning. Every time I step in a pulpit, I'm aware that the people I'm looking at are not the only people in this room. Because there are angels surrounding this building right now. And they are keeping the, the hounds of hell from getting in. We are gathered, two or three, together in the name of Jesus. Therefore, the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of here. And therefore, the angels of God are surrounding this building as the demons try to make their way in. Some of them break through every once in a while. Some of y'all might have brought a demon in with you. I don't know. I never discount that. I've seen it. I've been there. I've had them talk to me. You say, oh, now this guy's nuts. I could tell you some stories to curl your toes. Trust me. But we're not the only ones here today. And the one who's greater than all is here in our midst. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Amen? Amen. And he is a here. And he is the power source for this entire congregation and this entire church on earth. Listen, he can charge us up and he can help us reach the lost if we'll just let him. Amen? Amen. You say, I can't give a whole lot. What good is that? Well, there's a little lady with two mites, two pennies. Jesus said she gave more than everybody else. It ain't a matter how much you give or how much you serve. It's what heart you have with it. Amen? Now, understand this. You need to know the Bible. You need to know the gospel in particular. And you need to use that understanding to give the gospel to everybody you can. Then make sure you know what you should know. Grow as much as you can grow and go wherever you can go. It's really just that simple. Pastor.